Rangers. The country of India gave the world games of chess and polo, the concept of zero, yoga and meditation, and the power of nonviolence with unity in diversity. For over 40 years, WRHU has given you India on Glimpses of India radio program with Dave Joshi every Sunday at 3 p.m. This is Jim McEldry, head coach of the Rutgers men's soccer team, and you are listening to The Crew on 88.7 WRSU-FM, New Brunswick, and online at WRSU.org. Welcome to the WRSU Crew, the revolutionary show to hear all things sports, from your very own Rutgers Athletics to the hot topics in all professional and collegiate sports from around the globe, coming to you from your own Rutgers students. Sit back, relax, and enjoy your ride with the crew. And good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the crew on this lovely Monday evening. Moshe Golubchik alongside Dylan Allen, Jack Basea, and Gideon Fox. And uh, we had a nice weekend, but uh, we're going to start with the less nice part of the weekend. We're just going to rip the Band-Aid right off, start with Rutgers football and their atrocious 37-0 loss to the Maryland Terrapins and the whimper that ended the season, which, you know, really wasn't anything special to begin with. Yeah, finished 4-8 and eight on the year, finished dead last in the Big Ten East. Um, which is kind of depressing because, uh, I mean, you you look at Indiana, right? I mean, they're not very good, and Rutgers still manages to fall behind them in the Big Ten East. Um, just an overall disappointing season. Um, there were a lot of games, guys, that were winnable early on in the year, especially Nebraska, that they just let slip away. Um, and time and time again, this offense just let down this defense, if I'm being honest. Like it, there's only there's a couple of things to take away from this year. There's not many good ones, but there are a couple. In my opinion, I I think the defense, despite 55 points against Penn State and 52 versus Michigan, if you look just at that, you might say this defense was not good. But if you actually sat down and watched full games this year, I think I think everyone would agree this defense was actually good enough to win uh a, some games that they weren't supposed to, if you will. Uh, I think yeah, the the big thing was just the offense. Um, and it didn't help that Sean Gleason got fired midseason. Uh, and Nunzio Campanelli had his six-week trial as the interim uh, offensive coordinator. I think that game on Saturday uh, could have just you know, been the end of Nunzio. As, as it it could be. It could be. Um, I, I don't – you see, it's, it's tough for me to kind of grade him in a sense, almost because this offense just looked the same. When it started, they didn't get worse. They didn't get better, and so I don't really know what to make of it. Like this offense was struggling with Gleason. They bring in Campanelli. They keep him on the. They just they essentially just promoted him because they didn't want to hire someone midseason, and the offense essentially looked the same to me. Right around that ten to seventeen point mark, week in week out, with a couple of maybe twenty points here and there. So to me, there wasn't really a difference. Uh, I want to hear your thoughts. If you think otherwise, if you think the offense was better or worse with Campanelli than it was with Gleason this year. Um, and I also want to hear your thoughts about how they should handle the hiring of said position. They should look elsewhere, um, even outside the program, um, or if they should keep Campanelli. Because although he struggled, he is a well-respected guy within the program. He's been here for a while, too. But you got to think, the thing about Campanelli, though, is, like we said, the offense under Campanelli wasn't anything special. They didn't. If I'm not mistaken, they didn't win any games with Campanelli at the helm. Maybe one or two. I think the Indiana game. Wait, I'm, I'm, no, I, I forget. Think, was I don't think that. I think that was still under Gleason. Was that still Gleason? No. At that point? Um, Campanelli was fired after Nebraska. Indiana was the first Campanelli game. Okay, okay so they won one game with Campanelli, and infinitely scored... more than they won in the Big Ten with Gleason this year. Okay, yes, the only Big Ten win for yeah. Rutgers, unfortunately. But they won. They lost. They scored zero points today, this week. Right. They didn't do what I don't remember the score, but they didn't probably didn't score a lot the week before against Michigan State. They scored okay, so I'll tell you they scored with 
Campanelli as the interim offensive coordinator. They scored 24 versus Indiana in the seven-point win, zero against Minnesota, 17 against Michigan. Take out seven because of the block punt, so they really scored 10. Um, they scored 21 against Michigan State. If you remember that game, um, they scored a last-second touchdown on like a fourth and 30, and who knows if Michigan State at that point was even trying, but nonetheless, 21 points. Uh, Penn State, 10 points all in the first quarter, and then Maryland, zero points. Again, so so respectable, but nothing special. That said, if you want to re- if you want to go away from Campanelli, I don't know that there's really anyone to look at inside the program. I think you have to look out outside. I don't know where you would go, but if I'm glad you asked that question. If Campanelli's not the answer, I don't think anyone in the Hale Center is the answer. Well, I'm glad you asked that question, Mo. Where would Rutgers look? And I'm sure a lot of fans are thinking the same as Mo and and others, thinking where would Rutgers turn to outside of this program? Um, you know, where would they where would they start with the interview process? There's a couple of names that I've seen thrown around, um, especially in this article I read earlier today. They kind of listed ten ten coaches throughout the country that they thought would be good good hires or good fits for Rutgers. A couple notable names were on the list: John McNulty, if you remember him. Uh, he was the OC for us for a couple of years, um, and then they fired him. And he's, I think he's been at Boston College. He's been their OC now, and Boston College really isn't anything special, but that's a name that I've seen thrown around. He has ties with Rutgers and Shiano, so that could be someone. The guy I have my eye on, and now this is a, by no means is this going to happen. I think this is a long shot, but I think it's a good one if they can land this guy. Brian Hartline. Uh, the wide receiver coach for Ohio State. I think that's a an interesting hire there. He's proven he can recruit receivers there. I mean, it's arguably wide receiver you uh, at Ohio State, and I think that could be appealing for some of the wide receiver slash athlete recruits in New Jersey and the really the tri-state area that we seem to be able to recruit pretty well. Um, I, I think that's a guy that you can look at and say that's a that's a good hire. Um, he he has Shiano ties too, so he worked with he worked with Greg when he was uh, over at Ohio State before coming back to Rutgers. So they have ties there; they are familiar with each other. Um, and he is a former NFL player, and he's known across the country as a strong recruiter. So this is a guy that Rutgers, if they could bring in, maybe for one or two years, because this is and this is why it's a long shot, folks, because this guy could be a head coach, I think, somewhere around the country. And he may look at that and say, if I get offers as a head coach, he may opt to forego the offensive coordinator position. But again, he is a wide receivers coach now, um, so maybe he only gets some offensive coordinator interviews and maybe Rutgers can make a splash at getting Brian Hartline. Yeah, I mean, getting a wide receiver you know, affiliated coach, like you were saying, um, and also, I mean, you could just run through the current wide receivers at Ohio State and any single one of them could start over any of the wide receivers at Rutgers right now. Um, Rutgers is losing top, their top three wide receivers over the offseason. Really? I mean, you're losing Aaron Cruikshank. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. True. You're losing... Who else do you lose? You, Shameen you, Jones you, is done. Shameen Jones is done. You've already lost Taj Harris, and you're losing Sean Ryan. Sean Ryan's gone. Who exploded in the end of the year and was fantastic. Huge body, able to get those 50-50 balls. They finally used him. Yeah, exactly. But now he's gone. Now he's gone. I mean, all those players are gone. So, I mean, yeah, there's, there's definitely some players coming up in... You know, some of the younger guys coming up, I think running back is probably the stronger room right now if you're compared to wide receiver, but you're going to have to get wide receivers out of the transfer portal. What a better way to do it than getting Ohio State's, you know, wide receiver coach. The wide receiver coach that has sent players to the NFL. Right. Um, a wide receiver coach that is coaching on a Heisman level team and a national, you know, Heisman level players on a national championship level team. So, I mean, getting a coach like that, you have to hire, if you want to hire a coach like that, you have to hire them. The transfer portal opens in a week from today. I mean, you have to hire him now. Like you have to get the you have to get the ball rolling. Yeah, exactly. Because if you could hire him by the weekend, and now all these players are like, hmm, well, that's a desirable place to go. I could be any player that comes to Rutgers will probably be our starting wide receiver. Right. Right. It'd be like it would be like Taj Harris if he didn't leave the team. Um, I mean, Taj Harris it now still looks like uh, with the cryptic tweet the other day. I don't know if you guys saw that. It looks like he has reopened his his college football. Yeah, um, I'm sure. transfer thing. So he'll come. I mean, he might play in college somewhere, whether it's at he's going to transfer. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, if you are able to, if Rutgers is able to hire a talented wide receiver coach, bump him up to OC at Rutgers, all these players in the transfer portal are like, 
They could get a chance to play for an Ohio State coach without having to fight for snaps like they would at Ohio State. If you're a decent wide receiver, you're going to start at Rutgers next year. And if you're half decent, you're going to be the number two option. Right. But what's the incentive for a coach from somewhere like Ohio State to come here? Yes, you get to be a coordinator. You go to— You get to be a coordinator, but at the same time, Ohio State is a storied franchise, you know, good chance to make to be a perennial playoff team. That Compare that to Rutgers— a team that was four and eight this year won a single game in the Big Ten, and <clears throat> aside from, with the exception of last year, when they kind of whoopsied their way into a bowl game because of COVID issues, their last bowl game was in 2014, and they've never won a bowl game. What what incentivizes a coach from a high-profile program like Ohio State to come to Rutgers? You have, a, like you said, a promotion. Um, you go from a position coach to a to a coordinator position. You also come to a play to a football program that is going to give you upward trajectory. You're coming to a coach that has contacts pretty much everywhere in the college football world, including Ohio State. Uh, but he's coached in the NFL before. Um, someone who could springboard you into another position after this, and you pretty much have free reign over what you want to do. It's like it's like the Rutgers offense could get much worse, and you got to develop young guys too. You a got to nab some guys out of the transfer portal, um, and then you got to you to develop younger receivers. You still have some veterans, Isaiah Washington being probably the most veteran wide receiver now. Uh, I think Josh Young is another year. So there's some guys that are still here. You get a chance to pound the transfer portal and get literally whoever you want. Like there's no like I, the Rutgers offense can't get worse. And with the departure of, the, of our top three wide receivers, there's there's no wide receiver options on this team with experience. I think right. I'll also, I think I'll also say an attractive part of the Rutgers job, and I'm gonna quote uh, what I listened on to. Listen, listen from the Rutgers Ram podcast in this. It's there's a bar with Rutgers on what they're going to pay for an offensive coordinator that you know you also factor in as well. Getting everything you said is completely right with you know the opportunities that you'll get for coming to Rutgers. But I think also a big thing is you're going to get a pretty good raise from being a position position coach over to an offensive coordinator. So yeah, it's a promotion, and let's not forget that when even though he's been fired this year, Sean Gleason came here um, after having the Oklahoma State offensive coordinator position so he took a lateral position to come here um now maybe being from new jersey had it had some weight in that decision but still nonetheless i i think if you if shiano could get a guy who had a job at oklahoma state as their oc could get him to come back to new jersey and be the oc at rutgers even though it was not a success i think it's i i, I think it's okay to say that there's a chance that brian hartline or some of these other guys from other programs it could be brought here, and again, Shiano has coached with Hartline before, uh, a part of that Ohio State staff in past years. So there is a a connection, albeit a little small. But I mean, they're still familiar with each other, um, and stuff like that. Another name I saw on a list on the in the same website, which was interesting, was like an honorable mention almost was uh, Kyle Flood, a familiar name. Oh uh, no, <laughs> God no, Kyle Flood, oh interesting, God. interesting wow. name. Now listen, is that the Kyle Flood? It is the Kyle Flood. Yeah, I got in it. fact, I hope the not. article I'm looking Kyle at Flood. has a picture of him in a Texas polo, so that is him. <laughs> um, so sm- they definitely did not include him in a Rutgers polo on purpose. <laughs> I, I Listen, I mean, say what you want about the guy, but he is from New Jersey. Apparently his family still lives here, despite him being over at Texas, so I'm sure it would be nice for him to be able to live back in New Jersey with his family full-time and, and coach here. Um, I know he has t- not the greatest ties to this school. He did coach for us as the head coach, uh, and then he got fired. I think because he helped some some of his players with his grade with their grades or something like that. Oh yeah, something Jack, like that, right? This yeah. came up in in class in me and Jack's um, issues in sports media class yeah. with former radio council member and all around <laughs> fantastic professor Steve Miller. <laughs> so that that was what it was. Yeah, right? he like, like helped a player with an online. It was online dance appreciation. <laughs> Yeah, so that's why he. So Steve Miller, if you're listening to this, I will be ready for tomorrow's presentation. <laughs> <laughs> so I, listen, come to Freeland Heisen tomorrow, everybody. Jack is presenting, and then next Tuesday, that man will be presenting. Yes, sir. Whoa. So for me, it's like a but yes. Back to sports. Back to back to Kyle Flood. Although it might not be the, although he might not want to come back because he didn't leave on the best of, um, you know, the best of, what should I call it, um. He didn't leave in the best way with Rutgers, I'll say that, but, I mean, he is so familiar with this team. 
uh, or the at least Rutgers. He coached here with Shiano under him. He's coached in the NFL. He was an offensive line coach at Alabama, now the OC at Texas. Um, so he has the resume to be a very good candidate for the OC job. Now, I don't know if he'd want to come back to New Jersey, but again, his family is living here, so that could be enticing for him to return back to New Jersey, back to his roots. I just figured I'd throw that out there because he was on the article, and I was just like, huh, you know, the more I thought about it, it makes some sense that him coming back could be nice. Um, Because, again, Rutgers was pretty good, I'd say, offensively when he was the head coach. Gary Nova, uh, Leontay Crew, those guys, I mean, that, that, that squad was the best offensive unit we've had in some years. In the, in the last decade, I'd say. So it wouldn't be the worst decision for me now. Would Rutgers bring him back with, with what happened? I don't know. Um, but I, I do think he's deserving of an interview. I will say that. Whether the, the school, the institution wants to hire him or not, that's their decision. But I think his resume warrants at least an interview, get a foot in the door, because they've already committed so much money as a school to Greg Schiano in this program. And I don't think you can afford to mess up this hire. I think this is a very important decision for this team going forward. Um, but what would you guys think? Are, are you guys all on the idea that we should hire an OC outside of the program? Like, is Nunzio Campanelli completely out the window for you guys? Yeah, for yeah? sure. Okay. For sure. I mean, he's been in a coaching or coordinator position for now almost a full season with Rutgers back in 2019 when he took over as head coach and now when he was offensive coordinator and, and nothing happened and it's not like you could have high expectations of a guy tossed him to that position you know with the way that the Rutgers offense was so I'm not it's not like I'm I, I, like it's I don't know my expectations were met like I, I there's not much to expect from it um if there were any person on the Rucker staff you would promote it would, it would be him but I mean he's hasn't proven anything right so is he a, for and Rutgers also needs a tight end so I would send it back to tight ends coach and like <laughs> let him work there but I mean like there's nobody else the one person who you could possibly who I could possibly think about is Dunzio Campanelli and I mean I think, I think that move would be Rucker shooting themselves in the foot look I think I, I'm sure Nunzio is a very nice guy outside of football but I mean like <laughs> 37 to nothing. Like, 31 to nothing. 55 to 10. Like, these games were not even close. And then you look at, like, even Michigan State, like, 52-17, we just score a single point after the half. Now, I understand, like, Penn State, Michigan State, those are games that, like, you're looking at teams that one of them is going to be in the college football playoff. Right. But, you know, I, I just didn't see it from the offense this, this, this year. And I'll be quoting Rutgers ran a lot because I get a lot of my information on the team and just, like, you know, viewpoints – are solidified from them, but um, you know you have to you have to be able to put out a product that has to show progress or a product that looks like it's you know showing strides in the right direction. And now, granted, Nuncio didn't have the 1986 Giants, he didn't have the 2007 Patriots, he didn't have the 2013 Broncos, had none of those guys out there. But you needed to show progress, you needed to show growth. And when you lose by 31, 31, and not score a single point against Minnesota, and then the cherry on top, you lose by 37 points in your final home game against a Maryland team that joined the Big Ten the same year as you, and is clearly so much farther ahead than we are. You know, I think that I just think it's not a ringing endorsement for Nuncio. No, I, I and so. and it, it's interesting because in those games you highlighted, uh, excluding the Maryland and the Minnesota game, obviously we didn't score any points in the. I mean, in those Michigan, the Michigan State game and the Penn State game. At one point, we were we were I mean we were leading at halftime in that Michigan game. And, and we and happened? we were leading ten seven against Penn State, and my point is, you see glimpses of what it could be, and then you see the mistakes happen. Yeah. In that third quarter versus Michigan, I be- they scored twenty eight points, and I if I think Wim sat through all three picks in that third quarter. You cannot have that, especially being up seventeen to fourteen at halftime. You can't just shoot yourself in the foot like that. So we've seen glimpses of this offense at a I would I guess you could say a high level. It's just not. They can't keep it up for the whole game. And then you start to see these top 10 teams like the Penn States and the Michigans start to pull away because they're just built to last the whole game and continue to score points like they do all year. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, am, am I going to harp on the guy, you know, for losing against, um, you know, Penn State or Michigan? I'm not saying – I'm not no. I'm not expecting wins. I'm like – You're expecting something. If this was like a 31-28 to 28 loss where Gavin Wimsat clearly looked like that he was comfortable out there and really played well or like the running game was really fun- functioning well and maybe 
you know, a penalty here or there decided the game and Maryland walked off on a field goal. Or like maybe, you know, it was like a tight game down the stretch against Minnesota and, you know, Minnesota made one more play than Rutgers because Rutgers is not as experienced. They're a young team. And it was clearly shown that that is, that's the case. And we lost maybe 27-20 or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I'm expecting you to win. I know what we're up against here. But don't but put up an end. 37 to nothing is just, in my opinion, unacceptable. It's inexcusable. I I completely agree. And 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 but here's the one thing I will say. Um, I I think we have to cut some slack because Sam Brown being hurt after that um, changed changed everything. Changed everything. Oh, absolutely. Being injured after that Indiana game changed everything. And from there on out, you had no run game except for the game against Michigan State, where I think Manungai put up a a school record in terms of yards. Losing Sam Brown, we all knew as soon as he emerged in that Indiana game. I, I still say that was one of the wildest turn turns of events that I've ever seen. Sam Brown being ruled out for the year, being like, "Oh, where he's going to play next week?" Yeah, so being gone for the right. year. right, and coming off in a hundred yard game and a touchdown with almost almost thirty carries versus Indiana. Then the next week, it's he's gone. You don't have him. Yeah. And I think we all agreed at that point in time he was probably our best offensive weapon. I mean, yeah, we were so, saying it's a big loss. Going going into that game, we were all all four of us in this room were saying that Brown was, you know, should be and would be the go to running back for the rest of the season and then, you know, lo and behold he gets injured and he's out for the year. Right. Like I, I know that things are like Nunzio was not dealt a favorable hand. I, I understand that. Like Sam Brown going down changed everything. DA, you're absolutely right. Gavin Wimsett, I I was one this entire year. I'm not backing down. I knew I, I I said the entire year that he should be in with his lumps and making making himself better just like by throwing him into the fire. And, you know, man, he um he was going through the fire. Let's put it that way. And you know, I know Nunzio has not dealt a favorable hand that way, but to lose by thirty seven points in your final game of the year against a Maryland team, like I just said a couple minutes ago, came into the Big Ten the same year as you, a team that the Big Ten is clearly trying to set up as a rival to us, and you know, even excluding last year's game, you just get boat raced by them yeah. in this game. Like you only boat complete, raced. They like, only completed five passes to Rutgers. I mean, that's, that's you know, unacceptable. Like, it, it was like the defense held in there, but at some point, the offense just like has to be able to sustain a drive. They didn't pick up a first down until like the last drive of the game when it was basically a formality. And like, couldn't convert. Couldn't convert third downs either on offense. That's just. I don't like, think they converted. That's any. just like so inexcusable to me. They went one for thirteen. Like I, I said, you don't. I'm not saying like you got to go out and beat Michigan. Like Michigan's gonna be in the college football playoff. I mean, I, it goes without being said. It goes without being said. But like, come on, man. Like, but you have to, you have to, you have to, you have to play close games with Maryland. You and cannot, show progress. You cannot lose by 40 points and only have 130 yards. Only one first, only one third down conversion out of 13 attempts. You can't have that. Seven first downs. You cannot they, have that. They said on the Rutgers Ram podcast that there's different four and eights. Like, if this four and eight was like, you know, okay, we're four and eight, kind of what we expected, but you know, we played close with Penn State for a while. Like, just let the let it slip away in the fourth quarter. Like, even if the Michigan game, like the Michigan game, like I can accept because we're winning at halftime. We know how good Michigan is. We just saw on Saturday how good Michigan can adjust. They're in the awesome. Second half. Um, okay, you lose really close to Maryland, like I described. You. Lose it at the end against Penn or uh, Minnesota. You know these type of games. Like we could say, okay, you know we're four and eight. It was a rough year, but we see progress. We see Gavin Wimsat like coming along. We can see that he could be he can progress. No, these games were not even close. Like not even close. Like the games where we could say like, okay, we could compete with this team weren't even close. And the the games that we did win, um, Wagner, we would have won. No matter what, I don't count that game. No, that's fine. But it, you know, when you look at the win count, um, you beat Temple and Boston College right off the year. I mean, they had horrible years. They came into horrible. the season super high. Boston College finished three and nine. Everybody thought that could be a potent, like a team that could challenge in the ACC. They were they went three and nine. They they went two for six in conference, and we only beat Boston College by one point. We only beat Temple on a defensive touchdown. Like we even yeah. barely scraped. Even the wins weren't good wins. Yeah, and, and but the Indiana win was a good win. The Indiana, well, the Indiana well, again. Know, in just, my opinion, had to win Indiana, that. That was so. a, that was a game. <laughs> in, in my opinion, the Indiana game was a a game that they had to win. That like, might that be the only game. real win of the season. It might be, and it was because of Sam Brown, which again, not having him really sucks. But 
Uh, to your Boston College point, Giddy, both of their wins outside of the main game, they won by a combined two points. In each game, they won by one point, Boston College. So this is that. I mean, at the I, I said this earlier on in the year when we were losing. I think to I think it might have been after that Nebraska game. I, I said I was like uh, looking back at that BC win. That, that's a game we should have won. Where we should have won by a touchdown. Should have won by ten points. Boston College is not good, and they played in an ACC where they just did not, just did not get wins. And the ACC is nowhere as good as the Big Ten, so that was that was a game. Looking further along in the season, that was a game where I was kind of unimpressed by that win. And you you make an awesome point with their wins. Really, the only game that they really played well in and earned a win was Indiana and the Temple game. Is offensively speaking, that Temple game it was because of Shaquan Loyal's pick six. That's why I mean that's why they won that game. And Temple went three and nine also, and they played the America, the yeah. America Athletic, but the, the, the I mean, AAC. Keep like, it, it's, I mean, it, keep it, in it, mind, Rutgers beat them by forty last year. This that was a game where Rutgers was supposed to go and absolutely rout Temple, and they go in and only beat them by two points, thanks to a pick six by the defense that just carried them throughout that game. Um, now again, Sam Brown being hurt definitely affects the offense, and in my opinion, to to Sean Gleason's credit, I guess. Having to start Evan Simon pretty much every game sucks because Evan Simon sucks. He's not good. And in my opinion, had Noah Vedral been healthy the whole year and say they waited to start Winsett, whatever, but had Vedral been the starter the whole year, I think they beat Nebraska and I think they could, I think they beat Iowa. So now you're looking at a 5 and 1 start to this season and this conversation may be totally different. So I, I also think that really just sucks. I, I, it was. Injuries for the quarterback position. Name me a team in the NFL that can consistently win with a crappy bat when, when their starting quarterback goes down and they have to put in a besides um, Dallas because they are so well rounded. And I know that's what you probably could bring up, but but you tell me with a team like Rutgers that pretty much needs Gavin Wimsat to throw a billion touchdowns every game to win some of these Big Ten games well, later in the year. Yeah, even, even. With Evan Simon, how are, how are you supposed to win, I guess is my point. You're not going to. So I look at this schedule and I go, had everyone been healthy, yeah, I'd be really ticked off. I'd be I'd be on their case, everything. But when you look at the, the start of the year and you had Vedral go one half against Nebraska and then he couldn't finish the game and you were up 13 nothing, then you put in Evan Simon and he throws you two picks in the second half to lose you that game. Defense did all they could to win you that game. I, I just, I look at it completely different, and you could have been 6-1 and one after that Indiana game. 6-1, and one, folks. We were talking about this after we started out 3-0, and oh, the potential record for Rutgers with the one loss being to Ohio State because that's always a loss, right? It's just, it's, I think I I agree with you guys. I think we should get an outside guy for the OC job to go back, circle back to what this original uh, conversation started with, but I think there there is some. I, I think I need to cut a little slack for the at least the start of the year where the quarterbacks were not healthy. Now the finish, I kind of expected it because Gavin Wimsat is really that's really his first kind of tries at, at Big Ten play. You kind of had to expect Rutgers to struggle. Um, I think he threw five touchdowns and seven picks, so you you kind of expected that to happen. Um, so that's pretty much all I got, guys. I just think that the injuries early on in the year really set at the quarterback position specifically really set back this team. Um, up until that Nebraska Indiana game, I think that's where, where we, as a team, we kind of just knew like Evan Simon was just not good, and we were in trouble if Vedral and Wimsack could not return sooner. Um, we'll step aside for a quick break. Up next, locks of the week here on the WRSU Crew. And welcome back to Locks of the Night here on the Monday edition of The Crew. This is Gideon Fox along with Jack Pesce, Moshe Golubchik, Dylan Allen back over there running the board. Here's a segment where we give you our predictions of what will happen down to the T tonight in the wide world of sports. Um, I will start it off here with the lock that I've been excited to give pretty much since I woke up today and realized what day it was. Um, but the Devils travel to Madison Square Garden tonight to take on the Rangers. Um, I mean, this is probably the most anticipated Hudson, Riv- Hudson River rivalry game, like, in the last five years, at least. Probably, yeah. 
We're gonna we're gonna we're we're gonna lose the Rangers. The Devils are gonna stomp them. I'm just letting you know right now. Well, that's an excellent transition into my lock because it is Devils money line, um, <laughs> which is way too low in my opinion. Uh, it's that minus one ten. This is a pick'em game, which <laughs> makes absolutely no sense to me. Um, just looking off the way that the Devils are playing right now, I mean, it doesn't need to be said. You know, a, a franchise-defining win streak that was only broken by the referees. The Rangers are struggling heavily this year. They're 10, 8, and 4. Um, Devils only have four losses on the year. I mean, this team is they're they're rolling. They're high power, high scoring offense. Um, a lot of people were saying take the under in this game just because of how good the goaltenders would be. And what is the over under? Uh, I've seen five and a half. I've seen six. Okay. Um, I mean, I would not take five and a half. I just think that's too low for a modern hockey game. Right. Um, six is fine. Um, I wouldn't play the over-under. I would just take Devils' money line. I think the value is is all there right now. This is like this Devils team is unlike any Devils team that's stepped on the ice the last five years. They're fired up. They're ready to go. It's, I mean, the rivalry is the, the no matter what happens tonight, the rivalry is is alive. The Devils could win seven nothing, and the rivalry would still be at an unprecedented level. <laughs> well, which I, I don't think they're not winning seven nothing. No. Um... But it's funny you say that because the last time I went to a Rangers-Devils game was last year at the Prudential Center, and I believe it was 2 nothing Rangers after the first period, and then I think the Devils scored like five goals in the second period, uh, and I think they ended up winning like 7-2, to 7-3. So they so got lucky. Possible. I remember that it's game. Possible. I mean, it's not like that game was – And you had no a couple goals called that. back too. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so it could have been like nine. About. Oh, dude, the game I went to, they called back three. Yeah, the, the second you step in the building, everything goes bad. I told you that was going to happen. I that did, was I did crazy. You. That was that was crazy. Like, and, I was there also. That was yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, that was, uh, I was getting pissed because I was just like, I was like, come on, I want to see a goal. I, I had a perfect view at the first one, especially because I was like right behind the net. I saw it the, go right in. Which one was the disallowed first one? Was that the contact? That was the one they kicked in, apparently. Oh, my that God. Was that, that one. was that one. So I was like, are you kidding me? So I had a perfect angle of that. They call it back. Um, keep in mind, folks. I'm a, I'm a I'm not even a Devils fan, but I had, I had a good time. But I, I did tell you, Giddy, that I was going to break the streak. I was going to be the curse. Um, but I, I did meet Frank the Tank. So I, that was that was awesome. <laughs> but I mean, what that was the best way to lose a 13 game win streak. <laughs> like what a, what a way to lose. Yeah, the refs had Maple Leafs money line. I think. Yeah, I, I think that's pretty obvious. First of all, first of all, one referee was from just outside of Toronto, mm. and it was like his sixth NHL game or something. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, <laughs> you know where the board, the, where the war room and boardroom are in the NHL, the, the replay center. Yep, that's in Toronto. Oh, maybe. exactly. I was about to say that. Yeah, so it's a little fishy. A little it, fishy. It's a, it's a lot fishy. It is. <laughs> it's, it's a lot. It's fishy. all fishy. But look, I mean, I've never seen. You could go into the ethics of throwing stuff onto the ice. Um, Back and forth. I just think the way that the Devils players and coaching staff justified it, not justified it, but reacted to it. Like Lindy Ruff, the head coach, saying when a reporter asked about it in his posting press conference, he goes, what could I tell you? We have a passionate fan base. <laughs> and then Eric Halla on the Devils, who claimed that he got hit in the face by a chicken finger, um, was skating. Well, as things are flying onto the ice, he was skating around, like waving his finger, telling fans to stop. And then clarifying his actions in the in his post-game press conference, he said he was concerned about stuff flying from the upper deck hitting people in the lower bowl. It did, and, that, that, then, <laughs> and that could very much happen. It did happen. Um, yeah. No, I saw it firsthand. I someone threw a so beer Eric Hall, and hit someone in the first row. Yeah, and, and it probably happened all over. And if it didn't hit anybody, people probably got wet or got you know stains on their on their clothes from, from food flying down. Um but Eric Halla didn't tell he wasn't telling fans to not throw things on the ice. He was telling <laughs> fans from the upper decks not to hurt people in the front row. So like even the devil's <laughs> players and staff are like, okay, like that was ridiculous. Like we're <laughs> yeah, kind of with a you. Ridiculous. And when you're when you're NHL coach, who's that? Who's the longest tenured, or the most? The, it was the most wins in NHL history. Lindy, Lindy Ruff has been around forever. When he's like, "What can I tell you?" Like we got a passionate fan base. <laughs> like you're like, okay, that's the only that's the only right response. Yeah, exactly. But I gotta ask you, Giddy, is this a get right spot for the Rangers? And I only ask because at some point they got to turn things around. This is still a good team. They've just struggled to start the year. They're ten eight and four, um, and they're coming off a. A 4-3 loss against the Oilers at the Garden, uh, a game in which the Rangers were up 3-0 going into the third period and gave up four in that final frame. So it, like, John Hartnett does, is still mourning that loss. Yeah, I, he probably yeah, is. I, no so, one's heard from him for the last two days. <laughs> so I, I guess my question is, maybe it's not this game, but eventually you got to think the Rangers turn things around. 
Yeah, the Rangers are built to be a good team. I'm going to say it's not. I haven't seen the final injury report, um, but the two Rangers that have been listed on the injury report the last couple of games are Ryan Lindgren and Adam Fox on defense. Okay, Going against a high-powered Devils offense, if those two players aren't in, even if Lindgren is but not Fox, it's not a get-right yeah. game because you just, you're just you not at full power. Right. Um, the, the Devils play fast. They, they play fast. Adam Fox plays fast, too. Adam Fox would be able to shut down some of the Devils forwards. Like It's, it's just simple as that. That would be an excellent defensive matchup to watch. Um, I don't know... Foxes, they're both listed as day to day. I haven't seen much um, about the injury report. I guess we'll see what happens. Uh, puck drops in 23 minutes, so we'll see what happens. If those two players play, even so, like they're still not at 100%. Um, Lindgren is expected to be a game time decision tonight. He's has an upper body injury. Um, Fox was didn't practice yesterday because he didn't feel well. So either. Like if both of them are in tonight, I wouldn't even consider it a get a get right game because they're still not at full at full status. Right. You give it a week, the Rangers pick up some win on the road against whoever they play at some point, and then they come back home and blow a team out of the water five nothing. Like that's your get right game. The Rangers could make the playoffs this year. The Rangers probably should make the playoffs this year. Is a get right game going to be tonight? I don't think so. If they win, if the Rangers win this game three to two. I don't even think it's a get right game. I think they just they won the game. It's just a good game. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I I, I agree. I think they need to blow someone out. To get that get right game, and yeah, just and that's like that's not gonna happen tonight. Vitek Vanacek's in net for the Devils. He's been good all year. Oh my awesome. god, outrageous, outrageously good. <laughs> uh, but I'll throw it back to you guys. Devils and money line. I've seen it at raging from minus one ten over to minus one twenty. It's playable up until minus one sixty tonight. Okay, now I will go next. This game, I'm gonna go to Monday Night Football. But Mo, I know you're a Steelers fan. I'm not going to pick the spread. I will leave that to you. I'm going to pick a prop, however. Now, let me okay. just preview the game a little bit. This okay. game is disgusting on paper. Like I, I do I'm not, not want to watch this game. With that. I do not want to watch this game whatsoever. I could totally miss this game and not care. Um I cannot in good faith <laughs> argue with you. You, you have a 3 and C, a 3 and 7 Pittsburgh Steelers team on the road at the 4-6 and 1 Colts. Uh, you have Kenny Pickett versus Matt Ryan. Again, Matt Ryan was benched 2 weeks ago for Sam Ellinger and now he's back in Jeff Saturday's the coach. There's just a whole lot going on here. Um, the right. spread is minus two and a half for the Colts. They are favored. The over-under is 39 and a half. But for me, maybe it's not a lock of the week per se, but it is something that I would sprinkle a little money on Okay. because I think there is tremendous – I think it's pretty good value um, to bet this, and maybe you get it at higher rates on, on different sportsbook apps. But for me – I think the play is to sprinkle a little bit on Pittsburgh defense to score a touchdown tonight. Okay. And I say that because I think Matt Ryan will throw an interception. I think he'll throw two. Now, even though the Steelers' defense hasn't been all that great this year, I think with T.J. Watt back, creating creating pressure, making him roll out, step up, makes a throw maybe he doesn't want to. Maybe they get a strip sack for a score. Who knows? But I think with T.J. Watt in there, I think he provides a presence to put them at a spot to score a touchdown. And we've seen in games... Throughout Mike Tomlin's tenure, that defense knows how to score touchdowns Absolutely. when they can when they get turnovers. So, yeah. I don't I, necessarily have that. a good read on the outcome of the game in terms of who covers, who wins. What I will say is though, Pittsburgh defense to score a touchdown. I think it's at plus six hundred on FanDuel. <laughs> I like that a lot for my touchdown prop. I I, I kind of like that. You know, you started to allude to it. I mean, the Steeler defense. I mean, has a long storied history. And, you know, the modern defense, you've got T.J. Watt, you've got Cam Hayward, who's a longtime veteran who's still really able to make good plays. And opposite T.J. Watt, you got Alex Highsmith, who really steps up when T.J. is not there. And Highsmith is also a great player. So I think that's, uh, I think that's a good—I th- I would take that. Yeah. Uh, I, the way I think it happens is either a Minka pick six or a strip sack by T.J. Watt— and someone scoops it up and I, scores. I, th- those were my thoughts as well, to okay. be honest. So that's where I'm going to go. So plus 600 for Pittsburgh to score a Pittsburgh defense to score a touchdown. That's my maybe not so lock of the week, but that is my sprinkle of the week, if you will. Sprinkle a couple bucks on there. Yeah, uh, and with I think value that, like that, and like, I, like, I like you're saying, it. in an ugly game like that, it, it just makes yeah. sense. It's ugly. I could like realistically, Mo, I I could see this game. I, I could see Pittsburgh scoring like. 17 points total and seven of them being from the defense. Like yeah. it could be one of those games. I'll I'll piggyback off what you were saying. I'm going to stick with this game as well. Right. I'm not actually going to pick the spread just because it's so close and it's such a 
trash matchup. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it is. It's awful. It's it's bad. Um, don't get me wrong. I love Kenny Pickett. I I do think, you know, the Steelers should give him an, him another chance. Um, I actually was in the stadium in Pittsburgh when Kenny Pickett made his NFL debut. Um, I remember. I have some great videos from that day. It was a great game. If you're listening, Dad, thanks again. Um, So the thing is, the two-and-a-half-point spread, I honestly, I could see it going either way. I think if this game's in Pittsburgh, maybe it goes the other way. Um, The money line, the same thing. It's pretty close. Minus 145 for Indianapolis, plus 122. Ooh, for Pittsburgh. What's more interesting to me is the over-under. The over-under, as you said, is 39.5. To be honest, I I think the under is a safer play here because I think this game is 17-10 or 21-14, something like that, something low-scoring, probably a fair amount of punting. <clears throat> um, Big 10 football. <laughs> pretty much. It is an Indy. I, oh. <laughs> I I do happen to be a big fan of the That's Steelers awesome. punter, not necessarily because he's a great punter. I mean, a punter is a punter, and you know, shout out to Adam Korzak, all that stuff. I will say, if you haven't, if you don't know the Steelers punter, Google Presley Harvin the third. He is absolutely gigantic. Um, Presley he, Presley Harvin on it. Um, he is absolutely gigantic. If you saw him, you would think he was a linebacker, but he's a punter. Oh God. <laughs> Six feet, 255 pounds. Yeah, but look at the picture. He is... Look at a picture of him punting. It just looks... It's a big man. It looks like your punter got injured and you forced a defensive lineman to punt. <laughs> or not a lineman, a linebacker. But still, like, I, I haven't... I just love Presley Harvin. He's he's great. Um, But yeah, so... So the under is the play here? The under is the play at 39 and a half, in my opinion. Okay. The one thing I like from that game is, uh, if I if I were to bet the spread, let's say the the spread or anything like that, okay, um, it would be, um, I'd probably do like a teaser or something. Get buy up the points like plus eight and get it the over under to like, um, I don't know somewhere in the forties, and I'd bet the under. I I, I think the teasers. I, Giddy, you probably know better than me. The teasers. I haven't done one in a while. Like when you buy up the points, you get better value. But like, what's the catch in that scenario? I mean, you just you get you get it. It depends. There shouldn't be. There is no catch. There's I mean, no the, catch. the catch is is you lose out on the points. You could you could bet it either way. If you tease it, if the spread is what's the spread tonight? Two and a two half, and half in favor of Indy. That's such an arbitrary number in a game like this. Um, but let's say it's two and a half in favor of Indy. If you take it at, you think they're going to win by a touchdown, so you take them at minus six and a half. I mean, the odds are going to go up to like a million. Yeah, yeah plus two fifty. <laughs> let's say. Right. Um. So that's the catch. I mean, the catch is you get. Oh, worse just, points. The odds just get increased. Or, I got you. Okay. Yeah. I got you. Or okay. if you bet it down the other way, and you're like, okay, well. I want Indiana by plus 10. The odds are going to be like minus 500. Right, 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 right. I got you. I got you. So, I mean, you shouldn't be betting on minus 500 bets, but is it a lock? Whatever. It's, you know, that's the catch. Is the catch is you lose value either in the in the odds or in the points. I got you. I got you. Because I, I, I see people all the time um, online where they do the teasers and they kind of buy up the points and something with the over, and they take the under. So I don't I, – I'll look at it. Jack, I'll let you go while I'm looking through my – my phone, and I'll give you guys an update if I can find that. Well, since you asked, um, you know, I, my expertise is in the NBA. Uh, who's the Monday night game tonight? Steelers and Colts. Uh, yeah. Probably going to go to bed early. Sorry, Mo. Um, but <laughs> I got I don't other things to do tonight, dude. Take a I'll look, be honest. Take a look down this uh, this list here of NBA games tonight. Pretty good. Uh, hopefully, I don't know what Ron Harper Jr. is up to, but uh, the Toronto Raptors are playing the Cavs tonight, so... You can see a Ron Harper Jr. Donovan Mitchell showdown. That'd be awesome. But um, you know, I, I look at this Boston Celtics Charlotte Hornets game. Boston Celtics are the best team in the league right now. I don't know if you guys know they're sixteen and four. Um, but I I always find it really hard to think that NBA games. I could I I really find it hard to predict that NBA games can be predicted to be over like eleven points as a win. Like predict the Boston Celtics to win by 11 more 11 or more points. I always as an NBA fan, <coughs> excuse me, as an NBA fan, I always lean towards the closer games because I know that any night anything could happen in the NBA. And I look at this line right here with the Boston Celtics being 11 point favorites at home. I'm going to go Charlotte Hornets are going to um hammer that and cover I think they get that win. And then also, or maybe not get the win, but they're going to cover. Um, and let's, let's, do, let's throw something here on uh, 
on the Toronto Raptors and Cleveland Cavaliers. I'll, I'll put I'll put this up for debate. Ron Harper Jr. plays in this game meaningful minutes. I don't know where Ron Harper Jr. is right now, but if Ron Harper Jr. plays meaningful minutes in this game, hammer the over on the Toronto Raptors. Toronto Raptors team over on the condition Ron Harper Jr. plays. Yes, exactly. I mean, he's got the two-way. He was just up as of last hey, week, st- I believe. He scored his first NBA points with a three over Kevin Durant. I think he started out pretty well. I'll t- yeah, you'll take that any All day right. of the week. All right. Um, okay, November 15th, he was in the G League. And I don't know. And then he came up, so I don't know where he is now. It's not in Piscataway. <laughs> That's for sure. Um. All right, Jack. That could be a fun one. That could be a fun one. Oh, he was up. He was in the that on the condition that Ron Harper Jr. is logging meaningful minutes, but. I think that's a pipe dream right now. <laughs> I I would be inclined to agree with you, my friend. I mean, he's playing well in the G League. He's tw- he had, before he got called up, um, he had his first career NBA points back on November 23rd. Before then in the G League, he had 20 points, 6.6 <laughs> rebounds, 2.2 assists, 1.8 steals, at 1.6 blocks per game through five games. It really isn't bad. 20-7 and seven to start off your G League career. Not too shabby. All right, I, I, that'll wrap it up, right? So to yep, recap, to recap, Giddy, you got Devils money line. Oh yes. I have Pittsburgh defense to score a touchdown tonight. All right, Mo, you have the under thirty nine yes. and a half in that same game, and yep. Jack, you got Charlotte. What was the spread in that one? Uh, let's do the let's do the Ron Harper Junior. The Ron Harper Junior. So, one. So yeah, Ron, Toronto um, over minus five if Ron Harper Junior. plays. All right, there you go. So that's our locks of the night. Up next, more crew on WRSU-FM, New Brunswick. Filling Allen all here in the studio. We got nine minutes until hour two starts, and we're going to fill that gap with something that some people are willing to talk about some peop- and some something that uh, some other people aren't willing to talk about. I fall in the camp of not willing to talk about it. Um, I'm right there with you. We're talking about fantasy football. I had a chance to clinch a playoff spot. Now, as it's popularly known, Gideon Fox played a funeral song for my team in week two, but I have since rebounded. <laughs> that was week two? That was like week three or four. week two. And I have since rebounded with some savvy trades to get back onto the playoff bubble, but I think that bubble has burst, unfortunately. Uh, Rutgers football, no, Rutgers basketball couldn't relate. They Their bubble never bursts, but um, mine, did, mine did because um, Michael Carter decided he was going to get hurt in the second quarter, and um, Debo Samuel just like has two good games every year, so um, it's been a rough, been a rough uh, week for sure. And in my other league, like I've just absolutely free fallen. I've I was six and two. I said, you know what? I'm going for it this year. I'm going to trade picks for players, and I'm going to try to make my team as good as possible to win, uh, win the championship. And you know that's how you know how it goes in fantasy. When you try to make your team better, you lose four straight and fall out of playoff contention. So yep. um, yeah, it's been a rough fantasy week, but. I'm in, similar, I'm in a similar boat, It's been boat, a rough Jack. fantasy season for me. Dill, you go first. I, I'm in a similar boat. I'm going to lose to Gideon um, by five, which which sucks. Um, it, it came down to the wire last night. It was Philadelphia defense for me versus A.J. Brown, and up until that last touchdown, I think Philly scored maybe the second to last one. I think it was the last one because I think they kicked a field goal at the end. So I yeah. think the last it came down to the last touchdown A.J. Brown got after a couple of run attempts that um, Philadelphia was stuffed on. They uh, opt to throw it, of course, to the one guy I can't have catch it. Uh, and that was all she wrote. I lost by five to Gideon. I am now on a four-game losing streak, um, including this week. I was four and four. I had just beaten Jake Mystel, scored like 200 points. I was on an all-time high, and I'm going to lose four in a row now. So I've been humbled. Uh, but to my, um, in my defense, I must say, I believe I have faced the second most points in the league. I've had, and I don't think this is including your week, Giddy, so I've had um, 1,400-plus points scored against me whenever I play, and I've and I've I've scored a little over thirteen fifty. Joe Mixon accounts for 75% yeah. of those points. <laughs> so, and I'm looking at um, across the league, excluding this week, through the, seven, or through the 11 weeks, excluding this week again, the the players that have faced more points than me, Mystel, um, and that's it. Jake Mystel. He's the only one. Him and I are the only guys 
that have faced over 1,300 points. Uh, played uh, played against 1,300. Shall we play plus the violin points. music while you while you uh, recount all your all your tragedies and? Fantasy? Well, I'm in control over here, so I don't want. We're to playing know. the world's smallest violin over here uh, on this side of the studio. So I mean, I'll start playing on my computer if you can't if you can't put <laughs> hold it. Hold your computer up to the mic. I could I could I'll get it up, but as I continue along, just to um. Continue to throw shade. For example, Ellis Gordon has only played against 950 points. That is 400 less than me. Hey, he's 400. Got... No, no, 400 points less. That is four weeks difference. I mean, Ellis does four. have the Legion of Boom. So Ellis is a fraud. I'm just Ellis is a fraud. Ellis is a fraud. Ellis is a fraud. Clip <laughs> this. Put on the hockey. I don't care. He has faced 400 less points than me, and he's eight and three, and I'm four and eight. That's the or he. I don't know if he's gonna win this week, but I'm four and seven. Not including this week's outcome. He's 8-3. and Ellis' pr- game has a lot to be determined. He has scored, probably including this week, he has scored 100 less points than me, and he's faced 400 less than me. Okay, but and Ellis he has, needs, And he has five more wins than me, or four. Ellis needs 60 points tonight from some combination of Jonathan Taylor, Pat Fryermuth, and the Steelers' defense. Well, based off of my bet, he's going to get a touchdown from the Steelers' defense, so <laughs> um, he might get it, but... Listen. Look, Ellis is going to get what he deserves. Now he's going to be stuck in second place in the in the East Division. Yeah. Well, he's not going to be stuck getting punished though, because that I think falls squarely on me, my friends. Because Are you playing him? Mo, no. Tough year for you. I Mo. just have the worst record in the league right now. Um, and you have faced quite <laughs> a few points too. You f- you're have close I? to thirteen hundred as well. I'm, yeah. I'm, a, I'm so, twenty over. You're twenty under. So I mean, we're right in the same so area. This week, I'm facing. Dylan McCoy, and unless I get a miraculous 40-plus point effort out of the Colts' defense somehow... Yeah, that, that's not um, going I will fall to 2-10. and 10. I will be in the midst, as well, of a four-game losing streak, and I will be on the receiving end of some, some travel that, you know, will not be so pleasurable. Um... Not a great year for me, as we said. Um, to be honest, I had a lot going on. It was hard for me to track all my fantasy teams this year. Um, just a very busy fall for me. But, <clears throat> like I said, not not great. Um, you know, 2-10 and ten after, tw- after 12 of weeks is not ideal. Obviously not making the playoffs, but... You know, yeah. cue Jim Mora. <laughs> playoffs? You talking about playoffs? Um, obviously, you know, not going to make the playoffs. But uh, I think so. It's that, a very uh, negative tone in the segment, huh? Oh, I'll make it more positive. I was saying that my oh, season's taking. Da was about to play the violin music. I don't Mo know was saying that he couldn't that. pay attention to his team. I don't know what to look up for. I'm that. on a six-game win streak. <sighs> <sighs> <laughs> okay, eight and three, tied with Mystel. No, he'll be nine and three. Nine and three. Nine, nine and three. three, tied with Mystel, but Mystel has the head-to-head match. Okay, you want to talk about an all-around team that actually deserves to win, Mystel? Dude, Mystel had never played fantasy football before this talk, year. It's the Mahomes. It's manager. the Mahomes and Kelsey stack. Yeah, that's oh, absolutely. That, I mean, that stack is worth like fifty touchdowns. Mystel has scored. Not accounting this this week, has scored thirteen hundred seventy-three points, gone against thirteen hundred seventy-five points. <laughs> Yeah, no, he's faced the Wait, most points. So I gave him credit. Net, hold on, so credit. he's net negative, and he's still 8-3. and three. Yes, he's net negative two by two points. points. He's faced two, the most points three. in the league. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, sure, he, he's never played fantasy football before, and every time I see him, mm. we have a class together Monday morning, was like, I was like, Jake, like, you probably like this whole fantasy football thing now. And he's like, oh, my God. Like, He also had Josh Jacobs yesterday. So 48 points. That yeah, was that was what, that was what stacked him. It wasn't even Mahomes and Kelsey. They accounted for thirty-three points, which is usually what Kelsey puts up by himself. It was it was all Josh Jacobs, forty-eight. Did you watch that game at the very end? Yeah, crazy. I mean that that was the longest overtime touchdown run in history. Really? And I I needed my Stell to lose. I could get first place in the in the well, division. If it makes you feel any better, I mean you you beat me, so you, no, you're I, still I feel- you're still right there. <laughs> I mean, it, it was unfortunate second. for me, dude. Like, so this is—I'll uh, I'll let you go on your team because you, I had—I had my time. No, I mean, honestly, like, I don't. My team was fine yesterday. Oh, like, I, like, hundred and five, hundred. It's a, the final score was one hundred and five to hundred. And like, I mean, leading the way was Austin Eckler. So if Austin Eckler doesn't go off, I lose the game. Right. Right. Otherwise, 
Tua, my quarterback, has 16. Running backs combined, you know, for 33 altogether, which has two two running backs combined for 33 isn't something to write home about. Receivers combined for 28. Tight end with six. Flex with 11. Defense and and kicker combined for 10. Like, it's not like my team did great. No, my team didn't do great either. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Camaro with seven and Cook. Kamara Cook combining for less than twenty is is horrible, and it's happened almost every week. I, like I kid you not, it, it has happened more often than not where these two guys combine for like twenty five points or less, and they're both projected like seventeen. <laughs> so I really should be getting like thirty five at least, just some output. I'm not getting. I, they they never they never do well on the same week. Now you look at Kamara this year. You take out his forty three point week against the Raiders in week eight. The most he has scored was 23. Wow. 23, 18, 17, 13. And then there he has scored single digits, one, two, three, five weeks in the single digits. And I and coming out of the draft, Brett, Jack, you name it, they were all telling me, wow, you got a hell of a steal at the back end of the draft with Kamara and Cook, and they have been killing my team this year. They have been the reason why I lose the, these close matches. What we said in August literally has no like bearing on what actually happened. No, no, oh, I'm, yeah. not saying, drafted, I'm not saying I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not pointing it out. Team. I'm not pointing it out to say that you are. You don't know what you're talking about. I know. I know. I'm I know. saying these guys are regarded as one of the better upper echelon fantasy running backs coming into that draft. I get both, and they both stink up the joint, and it's just like. You you would have thought maybe one would struggle and the other would be just fine. No, both have struggled this year. Like Kamara is the fifth is RB fifteen, Dalvin Cook's RB eleven, and they were probably the sixth, sixth, fifth and sixth, maybe sixth and seventh running backs taken off the board that first round. So maybe Cook is playing more up to par, but Kamara being RB fifteen is that that just can't happen. Um to put it into perspective, Tony Pollard is RB10. Yes, sir. That's that, my guy right there. Listen to what I just said, Giddy, and everyone else in here. Listen to what I... Our, Tony Pollard is RB10. Dalvin Cook is RB11. What are you trying to say about Tony Oof. Pollard? And Alvin Kamara is RB15. Tony Pollard... Does it tell me when you drafted him, Giddy? Does it say it? Was drafted 87th by you. Okay. I drafted these guys 14th and 15th. <laughs> and he's better... In total points this year. That's just that's how the season's been going along for me, and not to mention Michael Thomas getting hurt like within the first three weeks. Jerry Judy's been out these past couple of weeks. George Kittle had a couple injuries to start the year, so my team was just really hurt. And and Hopkins was out six weeks for with the suspension. Yeah, but you knew he was I knew be out six weeks. I knew that going into it. But I'm just saying what my team could have been. I guess I could exclude Hopkins then because I knew he was going to be out. But it, it's just a damn shame how it's unfolded for me. Um, but you know what, Giddy. I think it's safe to say, Jack, I don't know, what, are you in the same boat as me? Like, are you not making playoffs? Is that, like, confirmed uh, at this point? I would characterize it as unlikely. Now, okay, so, so in the event, Gideon, that the three of us don't make playoffs, I am rooting for you to win. Thank you. Thank to win, you. to represent Monday Crew, and to just beat Ellis in the playoffs, because that guy's a fraud. <laughs> he deserves to be first-rounded. He will be first-rounded. I will bet money on whoever he plays that he will lose first round. Um and this is no shame to Ellis, by the way, in case you're listening. Not personal. It's just it's infuriating to look at that and see that I have went up against 400-plus more points than you. And that's the only reason why you're in the playoffs. So, listen, it is what it is. It's fantasy football. It is fantasy. It's it's luck-based, right? A lot of it is luck stuff. So, I mean, I'm not going to get too angry about it, but it needed to be said. It's basically it's basically all luck, to be it honest is, with It is. It is. But it needed to be said. I needed to call him out because, you know, 8-3... and three, and he'll probably be eight and four this week. After this week, you're rolling in the playoffs, thinking you're you know you're the hot stuff. No, no, no. I, you look, have I not mean, played any high scorers. I mean, like no shade to like people who like make a lot of money like being fantasy analysts, but like you're they're just professional guessers at this point. Yeah, I agree. Like, I'm walking into this week thinking Michael Carter's a great start because Jason James Robinson's like not going to play and like all that <laughs> good stuff, and he gets hurt. Like you can't predict. Can't predict. Uh, injuries which is part of the play and like i don't know man it's just like yeah well we know we know here on the monday crew on whr you want me to do the math for ellis real quick i just did it and i'm including this week he will most like ellis on blast i'm putting ellis on blast because it just it ticks me off when i look at that man 
Tune in. It, it ticks me off when I look at that. I'm just like, really? Like, come on. How is that even Tune humanly possible? Tune in to 88.7 WRSUFM. Yeah. I'll, I'll text him right now. I'll say you're being put on blast. Yeah, He'll go have ahead. no text idea what we're talking about. I don't care. I have nothing to lose. He has everything to lose. He will be first rounded. I'm telling you right now. But I did the math, including this week, which Christian put up 125 points in a most likely what will be a win for Christian. Because I think, I think you said, Mo, um, he needs to put up 60 between three guys and like yeah. one's a defense. So one of them is a defense, yeah. and then he's got um, Jonathan Taylor and Pat Fryer. Moves. Yeah, so it, it's looking and like he, he will lose points. this week. So I'm counting the 125 that Christian put up, and that's what he has put up that he's done. He has faced an average of 89 points per week throughout the whole year. He must play me a lot. 89 points. Every time I play, I wow. think I, I think I go up against 100 plus every time. I will say you got a bad break when the, I got like Joe Mixon just. Like that, but see, but see, in a different league that same week, I also had Mixon, so it was a double edged sword for me. And I was like, I'll take it, fine. And that was at the be- like the beginning of like right after my winning streak, where I was like, all right, I could take a loss because I think I went four and five, and I was like, okay, four and five, I'll win the next week, right? And so it was one of those situations. But he has faced an average of 89 points per week, Ellis. So I I I had to say it. I had to put it out there. Needed to be said. So just a shame, um, Ellis. If you're listening, we uh, we anticipate a fun response. Ellis, you're a great broadcaster, great friend. Uh, you know, great everything, but you've gotten very lucky in fantasy. Yeah, very, very lucky. <laughs> a source close to the situation has confirmed Ellis Gordon has committed full-time to the Daily Targum. <laughs> oh, wow. To put it in perspective real quick, he'll I be have playing. Faced... He'll be playing for the Daily Targum in May's anticipated <laughs> basketball, basketball match. Highly anticipated. To put it in perspective, I have I average facing 120 points a week. Would you say that's crazy high? 120 points a week? Good solid. That's very in a, in a No, that's week. how much I go up against. Oh, oh yeah, no, that's 120 ridiculous. a week. Wow, that's yeah, that's yeah. ridiculous. That's a difference indeed. of 32 points a week. Yeah, no, that's especially outrageous. especially in our league. Yeah, 14 people. I'm going up against 120 points week in and week out in a 14 man league. You just play my stell week after I, I, week after week. And I beat week. my stell. That's what's funny. I beat my stell. <laughs> and I took pride in that. I just I think I went up I mean, against I think I went up against Palumbo when, or or maybe it was Hartnett and he put up like 170. Dude, like I just lost, what is going like what I went lost on? to my Stell by like a point a couple weeks back. I think it was uh, that's three brutal, weeks. Ago. You're two and nine, Mo. Yeah, yeah I'm sorry. Brutal. Here it is. Week ten. Incidentally, the week that the Eagles lost to the Commanders and lost their uh, their perfect season. Jake Mystel, 123.44. My team. 122.6. Yeah, that's brutal. That's a bad beat. I lost by .86. What were what were some of the players you started that or or like what was an I outstanding mean, performance? I mean, if Jalen Hurts had literally the... thrown for like 5 more yards, I would have won. Yeah, so that's that's um, a bad beat. I got, you know, I mean, it was just I mean, no one my bench my bench combined for less than 50 points. So, it wasn't that I benched the I mean, Cam Akers got 2 points, but none of I don't I'm running out of running. I was running out of running backs this season. Um, whatever. It, it, it's been a painful year for the three of us. Giddy, I am on your side. I am endorsing you for the fantasy championship. Um, I will second Because you that. are a class act. You are the sports director. Um, and you beat me fair and square this week, so respect. Did what's, not the, get... what's the playoff outlook looking like right now? Uh, uh, I, I will question. pull it up. Here, you guys will, discuss. I can pull it up. Um, I think well the thing is Mystel's gonna lock up that that East buy. Um the buy goes to the, yeah. the top player in each division. Um yeah. so Mystel's got that. Are you look in the other division, <laughs> probably gonna be the rats. Looks like we're getting I, a phone I call. Know. Here. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Ellis Gordon is stop. on the phone. Yeah, stop the phone. Stop the, stop the talk right now. We got we got a person uh, on the line right now. Um he's here to defend his honor, I think, in terms of uh in terms of fantasy, ladies and gentlemen. Ellis Gordon is on the phone. Ellis. Hey, what's up, guys? I heard, yeah, I heard you're talking down on my name. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, if you'd like to dispute my argument of that you faced, like, no points a week, go right ahead. I, I have the numbers. It's not yeah, that Ellis, easy to I dispute. I don't think I told you what we were talking about. So, DA is, like, oh, going so off the you set him rail. up here. He had he's, no idea. He's going off the rails oh, man, about, uh, he's coming in blind. He's going off the rails about how you've, like, faced an average of 89 points per game in fantasy and, like, how... Uh, your fantasy team is not as good as it looks. Yeah. Okay. Let me let me respond to a couple of these, a couple with a couple of points. 
first off, I'll respond to the first point. I do have a cupcake schedule. That's because people are afraid of me. It's like the Tom Brady fact. Oh, come on. Tom Brady fact. That's one. Two, it's karma because of my other big league for money. I have most points scored against by like 200. So That's, that's fair. Karma. Three, three, my actual argument is it, it, it counteracts their whole team. I've had one of the most injured teams up until last week in fantasy. I had I had Javante Williams. I had Jonathan Taylor. I had um, Keenan Allen. Also, my first three biggest players were all out for most of the year. So just counteract that. But now I'm all healthy. And sure, for the first, uh, what, 11 weeks, that was, you can use that as an excuse. But once playoff time and I'm dropping 130 on all you guys, there will be no excuses to be made about points again. Well, listen, Ellis, I already made it. I already said it out in the airwaves. You will get first rounded in the playoffs, uh, no matter who you end up playing. That's just my honest opinion. Um, because, but uh, but helps. you do have you do Ellis, you do have a valid point with the injuries uh, to your team. But in my opinion, still does not convince me. Because uh, my main point was that you just didn't go up against anyone good with good weeks, and that's the only reason why you're eight and three right now. Because you know as as much as I do, you just told me your top three guys were out all year. How the hell are you eight and three, right? Yeah, no, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. That is that is valid criticism. But hey, you can only control yourself, and that's what my team's been doing. They're trudging along. Now, now that we're healthy, listen, I'm gonna be eight and four this week. Christian hung up twelve twenty five. I mean, Christian got injured, but he'll, he'll be back next week. But you know, now that we're healthy, now 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 it's time to shine. You know, I got a lucky again, but. I will not be a first-round agent. I'm going to win the whole thing. Fair enough. Hoping hoping for some good playoff rounds. Unfortunately, me, Mo, and Jack will not be a part of that, uh, most likely. But I'll see you there, Ellis. Gideon, we'll see you there. Oh, uh, yeah. I... I I did get You beat me. That was such a fraudulent week. Oh, and that's why I brought it up before. I was with DA before we went on air saying that your team was was fraudulent. Ellis, first of all, I'm going to be higher in the standings than you after this week because Ellis, barring a miracle, you win tonight. That's true. Um, thank you for Travis Etienne. I hope David and is really doing. Oh, David and Joku like did it make it to like my week four roster? I don't even know where David and Joku is now. Yep, he's which is, on which my is team, kind buddy. of annoying because I actually do need a tight end now. Bum. But every other position has been okay for me. Yeah. Gideon, David and Joku is a member of the fail trade experiment. Oh, there you go. Listen, Ellis. Gideon, your team's very good. No disrespect. But once playoff time, we're going to see who, which team shines with the lights are on them. And uh, I know it's going to be fine. I'll see you there. See you there. Who are we kidding? Jake Mai still is going to win it all. It's his league to lose. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, we discussed already that he has faced the most points scored, the most points. So credit to him. Kelsey is the cheat code. I have him in a different league. Um, Ellis, appreciate you coming on, defending yourself. Any final words uh, before we say so long and head to break? Listen, I, I love the banter. I, I got a little lucky, there's no doubt. But, you know, I look forward to seeing my true competitors in the playoffs. <laughs> as, uh, as long as I get in front, in front of my cell, I'll be okay. All right, Ellis, appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of your night, buddy. See you guys. See ya. All right, so that was Ellis. He had to respond to our, well, I guess my banter for his team it seemed a little personal it's not it's just it's uh frustrating to see your team fall in that kind of fashion oh, where you just can't control believe each me. team scores it's, it's very frustrating every week the fact that yep. you're just leaving everything up to chance yeah, yeah. you're I thinking mean, that it could be good absolutely like, yeah. i mean i've been playing fantasy football for almost a decade now and i know it sucks to lose when you think you're you should win yeah i agree all right, we'll step aside for a quick break. Up next is the segment you've all been waiting for. It's time for Rutgers men's basketball. So don't go anywhere. Keep it locked to the Monday crew on WRSU-FM, New Brunswick.